0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au Reading God's Word so well. Let's Let's pray together. Father of all, we do thank you for your Word to guide us and help us To show us your truth, to show us yourself, to show us your future. Please open our hearts and our minds to you now for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. I'd like to talk at the beginning just about God's big plan for the world, for us, which includes us. As I get on in life, I become more and more aware of God's big plan for the world, and I'm very thankful for God's promises of blessing. And they're being fulfilled in part now, as we see in the story of Abraham, and in full when Christ returns in power and glory and judgment. And that's the great next event in human history that we're looking forward to, that we're basing our lives on. So when evil world leaders arise, as they do in every generation, I'm assured from God's word that they will not triumph, but that God will ultimately. And if you want reassurance of that, see the book of Daniel or two Thessalonians or when faced with the death of someone I love, as Abraham did here in Genesis 23, in the midst of my sorrow, I know if that person is a Christian, I have a sure and certain hope in God for those who died who were Christians. I think last week I mentioned my mother's death when she was 61. Uh, The person who loved me most, who understood me best, uh, was gone at an early age. But two weeks before she died, she became a Christian. She turned to Jesus where she hadn't before. And I'm sure from the promises of God that she is with the Lord now, which is better by far. She's in a better place. And looking back on it, I was able to see God's hand in it and actually God's answer to my prayers. I prayed desperately for her healing. Well... She was, her conversion was the answer to that prayer. She was saved. She will be resurrected in a perfect new strong resurrection body when Christ returns. God will fulfill his promises of defeating death for all who, those who believe in Jesus. And just in passing, I, I really like to hear how people became Christian and, and there's and it's many and varied stories uh, but it's wonderful to see what happened in different people's lives. With my mother, a number of things God brought together, a copy of the Bible that I gave her that, and some Bible verses that she, she read and my witness to her. Also a godly Christian sister uh, helping her uh, in, in faith and the local minister who visited her and who we soon found out was actually the son of a girl that my mother went to youth group with when she was a teenager. So that, those sort of connections only God can make. And so, when she died, I shed many tears of grief, but also mixed with joy, for she was with the Lord. Well, here in Genesis 23, the last in this mini-series on Abraham, we're looking at the death and burial of Sarah, Abraham's wife of many decades. She died at a grand old age. And it may seem on the surface to be just an account of everyday events because death happens every day. Burials happen every day. Mourning happens every day. And God is not actually mentioned in the text. But we will see that his promises are taking a further step towards ultimate fulfilment. God's promises of blessing For the world. Various writers have summarized God's uh, big plan as to bring about God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And this is how it works out, and it's uh, useful to have this framework in our heads, I think, especially as we read the Old Testament. God's people are those who believe or trust. In God, as did Abraham in the Old Testament, and those who believe and or trust in Jesus uh, in the New Testament. God's place in the Old Testament was the land of Canaan, promised to Abraham and his descendants. On numerous occasions in Genesis, in the New Testament, God's place focuses on the heavenly kingdom, the New Jerusalem, God's city, the new creation, many different names. And under God's rule and blessing, initially this was through obeying God's law, and that was fulfilled in Jesus and moved on to the focus and teaching of Jesus as our Saviour and Lord who has has, uh, defeated all that separates us from God, sin and death and Satan. From the big picture of God's blessing, today, in this reading, we zero in on Abraham and Sarah in her death and the burial And her burial and the purchase of a burial plot. And it's mostly about the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise, of God's people in God's place in the promised land of Canaan. And importantly, looks forward to the ultimate fulfillment of that promise in the new heaven and the new earth. And how we see here how Abraham lived in the light of heaven, the light of that promise. So firstly, next slide, we see Abraham mourning and honouring his wife, Sarah. So please open your Bibles or your, or your phones uh, and look with me at, uh, uh, at Genesis 23. Verse 1, Abraham's beloved princess, Sarah, died at a ripe old age. She died in Hebron, where was that? It was in the middle of the promised land of Canaan. And in this passage, it's bookended by that phrase. So we know that this all happened in the land of Canaan, God's promised land. And how did Abraham take that loss after decades of marriage? Verse 2, we read, he went in probably to the tent for they had no land. They had no house. They lived in tents and he mourned for her. And he wept over her, sitting down beside his dead wife, verse 3. And we too will suffer some sort of grieving or loss. If we haven't already, we will. And though if the people we've lost are Christians, we have God's sure promise of the resurrection life, we will still mourn and weep for those who have gone and we need to mourn and weep. For death is an outrage. It's a scandal. We try to sort of sanitize it, especially in, in the West. Uh, we try to not get too close to it. Uh, but we need to mourn and weep. It's, an, it's not meant to be. See, death is not meant to be. It was not part of God's um, original plan. But s- Human sin, sin came into the world, the result of that in part was death. And God's blessing is that death has been abolished through Jesus' resurrection. I don't know if you've noticed, but the fashion in funerals in recent years has been to avoid all that. I had an interesting discussion with a funeral director a a while ago how people just want to try to accentuate the positive, you know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with giving thanks for the person's life, but if we, by doing so, doing, don't give people an opportunity to mourn and weep and lament, then we're doing them a disservice. We're it's 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 only human, and I've had people at family members at um, at funerals, giving a, a eulogy, a reflection on mum or dad, who've apologised for weeping. And I've said. If this one place you can weep and should weep, it's at your mother or father's funeral. So let's deal biblically with death, as did Abraham. Let's rightly mourn and weep. And he wanted to honour Sarah, his wife, by purchasing a proper tomb for her. That was the cultural thing to do. As fitting for the mother of God. I didn't realise it until just recently. Mother's Day, we're talking about, sorry, the mother of the people of God the mother of the people of God because God's people were Abraham's descendants and she was their mother. So as burial had to happen quickly in those times, verse 3, he got up from his mourning and he spoke to the local landowners, the people, the Hethites, whose land he was living in. And secondly, let's look at Abraham's trust and obedience in God's promise of a place for God's people. So we'll look at the second slide. Thank you. Verse 4, he respectfully acknowledges his, his landlords who own the land. I'm an alien living among you. I'm a foreigner, a refugee, a tenant. I don't have any rights here to someone's land. Now let's just hold on to that idea because it comes up in the reading from Hebrews we'll refer to. But that's the way Abraham saw himself. But Let's remember that God had promised that he would give the whole land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants. And he said it several times in, 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 in very serious situations, Genesis 15 and 17 in particular. Genesis 15, he repeated to, to Abraham that he would give the land to his descendants from the wadi of Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. But at this point, Abraham owned none of it. So where would he bury his wife's body in order to honour her? Would they go back to Haran, you know, a thousand kilometres away, where God had called him from? No, he wanted to show his trust in God's promises. He buried her, he wanted to bury her in the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised him to Abraham and his descendants. He was trusting God's promises of numerous descendants, as many as the stars in the sky, and also of a land. So he sets out to trust and obey God as best he can by burying Sarah in the land that God had promised, in the promised land of Canaan. Now then there follows a long-winded property negotiation, typical, I guess, of the culture, Uh, Verse 4, he asked the local landowners, the Hethites, gathered together publicly at the city gate, which is the local legal centre, it was all out out in in public. He asked the local landowners to give or sell him a burial property so that he can bury his dead. Verse 4, verse 6, the Hethites recognise Abraham as blessed by God, as a prince of God among us. So there was, they could see in Abraham's life and actions that God, however they thought of him, was with this man. And Abraham asks specifically for the cave of Machpelah owned by Ephron, verse 9, and he offers to buy it for the full price as a permanent possession. Abraham has God's promise burnt into his memory and that's what's driving him here. Genesis 17, God promised him the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession and your descendants after you. That was what God had promised. That was what he was looking forward to. That's what he acted on. So he, he sought to buy a, this tiny piece of Canaan as a tomb, just a cave. Well, the negotiations continue, and Ephron, the owner of the cave, replies to Abraham, verse 11, No, my lord, I give you the field and the cave in it. Now, there hasn't been any mention of a field as part of this transaction up to this point, um, but perhaps Ephron sees some dollar signs, so perhaps he's, um, uh, what, is he, what does he call it, up... Uh, upselling, you know, would you like fries with that? I remember we went to, to uh, Ikea a, a long time ago. We bought a table, kitchen table, and uh, at the checkout they said, would you like chairs with that? <laughs> well, he, Ephron's saying, you know, would you like a field with that? Um, and, but Abraham, Ephron offers to give it to him. Abraham doesn't want a gift that would be taken back, especially after he had died, uh, he, but he knows God's promise of the land so he agrees to buy the field uh, as, the, as well as the burial cave and then Ephron sort of verse 14 almost in, incidentally mentions a, a price you know verse four, for, for, sorry, 400 shekels but oh but what's, what's that between you and me But was probably very high expecting to be bargained down but verse 16 Abraham accepts the full price you know sort of knockout bid he just is going to take it in, in public, all, all out in, um, in the open, using the accepted public scales, he weighs out the 400 shekels of silver for the land. So verse, uh, so verse 17 to 18, uh, this is all publicly witnessed by the elders and Abraham now has full permanent title to the land. Verse 20, verse 19, after this, Abraham could go ahead and bury his beloved Sarah there. Where was the cave of Machpelah? The text tells us again, near Hebron, in the land of Canaan, the promised land, promised by God. This tiny part of the promised land was now Abraham's permanent possession. So here was God's first deposit, first down payment, if you like, of the whole land, a token of his promise. And why was this important? Well, the example of Abraham is living life, and in this case, death, according to God's promises and plans. That's what God had promised him. That's what he lived by. It was a bit like Jesus' parable of the uh, the treasure in the field in Matthew 13. You know, the fellow finds this treasure in a field somewhere. He doesn't own the field, but he sells. He realizes it's so valuable. And we're talking about the kingdom of God here. Uh, it's so valuable that he sells everything he has and goes and buys that field. The kingdom of God is worth everything. Well, a little bit like that with Abraham. It, it, God's promise, that's, that's what he's going to base his life on. Uh, that's what he's going to do everything to be part of. And this cave was not just a cave for Sarah either. Abraham Uh, And his descendants were buried there too in recognition of the same promise of God. Abraham was buried there, Genesis 25. His son Isaac was buried there, Genesis 49. And his grandson Jacob was buried there, Genesis 50. And if we think a little bit more widely in in the uh, the Old Testament, uh, uh, Joseph, who came much uh, later, he... Required, when he died, that his bones be carried up to be buried in the promised land. That was God's promise. they were living by that. Just as Isaac had a, um, uh, as Isaac, Abraham's son, had been a tiny first fulfillment of having of Abraham and Sarah having numerous descendants uh, and being a blessing to the, the whole world, so Abraham's tiny land purchase was a little step forward in God's plan. It was what Abraham could do at the time, trusting in God's promises, which he knew, as we'll see, were to be fulfilled in the future. Just to, full, just to fill out that picture, because the Old Testament is, you know, is a narrative, a story of God's dealings with, with, uh, with us, with God's people. Well, the centuries roll on and God's promise fulfilment rolls on, and Abraham's grandson Jacob became the father of, <clears throat> of the 12 tribes of Israel who grew into a great nation. They had to go down into Egypt because of a famine, but they, in the breadbasket of, of uh, Egypt, they became a great nation despite their cruel slavery under the Egyptians. Um, and through God's promise fulfillment, they eventually received the gift of the, prom- of the promised land, the miraculous a rescue from Egypt uh, through the exodus, crossing the Red Sea uh, and eventually a generation later they, they occupied, began to occupy the promised land and conquered it and uh, flourished in it under especially King David and King Solomon. In Old Testament terms, at that point they were becoming God's people in God's place that he'd promised under God's blessing. But We know from the Bible, their sin of turning away from God and turning to pagan gods caused them to lose it all and to be exiled to Babylon. Well, thirdly, Abraham looks to God's final fulfilment of his promise of blessing through Jesus. For us, through Jesus, God's promises continue In Hebrews 11, our second reading describes that, how it relates to Abraham. Hebrews 11 verse 8 tells us how Abraham was called by God and obeyed him and went to the land that God would show him, the land of Canaan. Verse 9, by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob. And this is what he was very aware of as we referred to in Genesis 23 verse 4. He was a foreigner and stranger in that land. He fully believed God's promise of the land for God's people and that God will fulfill that, that he would give them a future place for God's people. But he knew in his heart that this promise, the fulfillment of it, lay in in the future. And verse 10 of Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham saw himself as only a temporary resident in Canaan, for he was looking forward to, we read, the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Even the eventual extensive possession of Canaan in the time of David and Solomon um, was not God's final fulfilment. There would be something far, far better and that's what, what we look forward to too. So here's a challenge for us? Do we live in the light of heaven? Do we, like Abraham, have a yearning for a city with eternal foundations designed and built by God? Do we have a homesickness for heaven and therefore hold lightly to the things of this life? Do we see ourselves like Abraham as foreigners and strangers in this land, just passing through? And do we therefore hold lightly to the things of this life? Our loved ones will die, though we love them dearly as Abraham did Sarah. We will die, and we need not be afraid of that if we're Christians. Nor should we try to prolong life Beyond what God gives us at any cost. For we will be, when we die, we will be with the Lord. The things of this life are temporary. Our homes will be sold or demolished, despite our deep attachment to them or happy memories. Our church building will not last forever. Our earthly possessions will decay. See, all these things are temporary. But God's promises and plans will be fulfilled through Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. And we will receive God's place for us, the new creation, which will be eternal and wonderful and awe-inspiring. We will be with God and with one another in perfect worship and harmony engaged in satisfying tasks. Forget the, the cartoonist, you know, version of heaven of sitting on a cloud board, witless, plucking a harp. That's just a cartoon. We will be with God, with one another, in harmony, engaged in satisfying tasks, serving the Lord and his people. And in perfect, strong, pain-free resurrection bodies. Won't that be Wonderful. For Christ has conquered sin and death. And we will be all living perfectly under God's rule and blessing for sin and evil will be no more. Christ has defeated them on the cross. Well, to conclude, all of us here today, if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, will receive God's eternal blessings of a heavenly homeland when Christ returns in power and glory. And in that homeland, there will be no more tears, or crying, or mourning for those we've lost, or, or sorrow, or sin, or death. We'll be perfectly fulfilled in serving God and his people. We will be with God. We'll be with Jesus. We'll be with one another in perfect fellowship. And Abraham's example of looking forward to God's plan and promise and future is for us to follow. Like Verse 13, like Abraham, we know the things that God has promised through Christ. We see these things from a distance. We're told about them in God's word. We see them from a distance and we welcome them. We see our lives now as Abraham did, holding lightly to the things of this world, as foreigners and temporary residents on this earth, living in this world for God, but not of it. It's not our final home. Verse 14, Hebrews 11, we'll be looking forward to our heavenly homeland, far more than our retirement at Phillip Island or Ocean Grove or whatever. Verse 16, we'll be longing for a better country, a heavenly one, which God has prepared for us through Jesus. As I get older, I think more and more about the future, God's future for me and for all who trust in Jesus. And that's a good way to live. Think about how the Bible finishes. It finishes looking forward to Christ's return and what God will do. Revelation 22, we read, Jesus, who is the faithful witness to all these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. That's the ultimate answer. And John the prophet writes, Amen, come Lord Jesus, as we can pray Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And verse 21 concludes, as I will too, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's holy people, now and forever. Amen.